John chapter 18, verse 28, up to chapter 19, verse 16. I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? 
The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. No matter what our standards are, every human being has a gap. A gap between what we think we should be and do and what we actually are and do. That's in every human being, no matter what our standards might be. We could call this a performance gap. The difference between what our standards are and how we actually live our lives. Now, most people have some awareness of this performance gap. And and that is why we are objectively guilty, because that gap exists, and we subjectively sometimes feel guilty as well, because we're aware that there is that gap in our lives. And if we are not ever aware of that gap in our lives, there's a name for that kind of person. It's called a psychopath, who does not have a conscience, and does not understand that he or she doesn't live up to uh, a set standard. Now, um, what we tend to do following the religions of the world or the philosophies of the world is try to reduce that gap, to make it smaller. And there are two ways to reduce that gap, according to popular thinking. One is to lower the standards, and not many people openly recommend that. But most of the philosophies of the world and the religions of the world suggest raising our behavior. And if we're able either to lower the standards, not usually recommended, or to improve our behavior, then we can try to minimize the size of that gap. The problem with that, among other things, is that it leaves us with this question of guilt. It leaves us with this question of the objective guilt, because no matter how small we might think that gap is, there's still a gap. And there's still objectively guilt there for not reaching the standards. And in addition to that, there is the subjective guilt of the awareness of not reaching that standard. So no matter how, how small we might in our own minds be able to make that gap, we still have that gap. And we realize that the solutions given to us have not taken away the problem perhaps minimized it somewhat, at least in our own minds. Now, what we have in this trial before Pilate, we have the Christian solution being presented here. Not so much directly, but as John loves to do in the words of Jesus' opponents. And so we will hear the Christian solution to this this performance gap presented indirectly through the words of those who are participating in this trial. And we can look at this trial in four rounds. If you want to look at it, something like a uh, a boxing match or something like that. This is a four-round match. And the the pugilists, the, the boxers, are the Jewish authorities, the religious authorities, and Pilate. They're the ones who are competing, and we can see how they do in each of these rounds. So in round one we find in chapter 18, verses 28 to 32. 
And in round one, Pilate tries to release Jesus by dismissing the case out of hand. So we pick it up the story. Last week we saw that Jesus was arrested. He was betrayed by his disciple, former disciple Judas. He was arrested. He was handed over to Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. And then he sent him to Caiaphas. And it's interesting, there is no record here of the trial before Caiaphas. We have to go to other Gospels to read about that. But what we have in John is a great deal of detail about the trial before Pilate that we don't have anywhere else. And so in this, we pick up the story, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. And it says here that they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Now, John loves to use irony, and he uses a number of different ironies throughout this gospel. And here is a glaring one. We have the the religious leaders who are so scrupulous about their ritual purity that they dare not enter into a Gentile's house lest they be excluded from eating the Passover meal. And so they were very scrupulous about ritual purity, even as they were clamoring for the death of a man they knew to be Innocent, One they themselves had not been able to prove of any transgression. And this, by the way, this, by the way, is how ritualistic religion works. This is how it functions. And, and ritualistic religion has, has seeped into Christianity over the years as well. So we as Christians are not guiltless. If you look at church history, you see how this is possible for for people to be very scrupulous about certain rites and rituals while they commit unspeakable sins and crimes. But they try to make up for those by committing certain ritual acts. And this is how ritual religion, whatever its form, how it functions. But there's another interesting thing that happens here because of their scrupulosity about not going into uh, Caesar's or rather Pilate's headquarters. They have to stay outside. And Pilate, being an astute politician, he knew that he had to deal with the power brokers and he knew he had to be sensitive to the scruples of the local peoples. And he didn't want there to be any problem during Passover. And so... What he did was he went out to them. Now, this is interesting because you'll see throughout this trial, the judge is the one that is dancing like a marionette. Uh, he is the one who goes out and then goes back in and then goes back out and goes back in and goes back out and goes back in. So the, the religious leaders show that they're the ones who are really controlling the flow of this trial because Pilate's the one that's going in and going out and going in and going out. But he throws a monkey wrench into the beginning of the trial because he goes out to them and he asks them this, verse 29, what accusation do you bring against this man? And this seems to come as a shock to the, the Jewish leaders because they apparently had made Pilate aware of what they were doing. And if we are reading correctly to say that there were some Roman soldiers involved in the, rest of Je the arrest of Jesus, that could not have been without Pilate's knowledge. And so it looked like Pilate was just going to rubber stamp their arrest and their prosecution of Jesus. And then he says, I want you to give me a, an accusation. 
And you, you can see their surprise in their answer. They answered him, well, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Well, that's not an accusation. They, they didn't have anything concrete to present. And you can see that they're, they're, they're on their back feet here. And then Pilate, wanting to show who's boss and how much they need him, in verse 31, says to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Now, the Jews responded and said, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They didn't have the right of capital punishment. The Romans reserved that for themselves. Now, that's important because, as we find in verse 32, this was to fulfill... This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Let me ask you this. Thinking about the Old Testament, if the Jews were going to execute Jesus, how would they do it? They would stone him. That's the, that's the capital punishment generally in the Old Testament. They would stone him. And we find later they stoned Stephen in, a, in an act of mob violence. And so he would have been stoned if the Jews could have carried out their purpose. But... It says that this was to fulfill. They needed Pilate. They needed the Romans in order for Jesus to die, but not only for Jesus to die, but for Jesus to die by being lifted up. And all through the Gospel of John, we find that from the very beginning, that Jesus was going to be lifted up, that Jesus was going to be exalted, that Jesus was going to be, going to be glorified, and He was going to be glorified by being lifted up, ironically, on a cross. And that's the Romans' part to play. That just as Jesus had said in chapter 13 that He would be lifted up, indeed He would be lifted up. He would not be buried under a a pile of stones. He would be lifted up from the earth. And as He said from the very beginning, when He's lifted up, He can draw all people to Himself. So that's round one. And if we were going to be scoring the rounds, we might say, well, Pilate will give Him a... Uh, we'll give him round one. It looks like he, he showed that they needed him and he showed that he was in charge, although the Jewish leaders have him dancing, going in and out and in and out. So it's not a, it's not a very strong victory, but we'll, we'll grant him round one. So, verse, round two. Pilate enters his headquarters and he called Jesus and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, this shows that Pilate had some idea what the Jewish authorities were accusing Jesus of, of being an alternate king. And Jesus asked for clarification. He said, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? Now, once again, Jesus was not being a smart aleck here. He was not just uh, resisting Pilate. He was saying, I want to know what you're asking so that I can give you the right answer. Because if you're asking this on your own as a Roman, as a Roman governor, then the answer is no. I'm not a king in the way that you would think about a king. But if the Jews put this question in your mind, well, then the answer is yes. Because according to the Old Testament, I have come as the king that is promised from the Scriptures. And a pilot didn't really go with Jesus' question he bridled at the fact that Jesus would even dare to question him about anything, and he despised the Jews. Pilate answered 30, verse 35, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So they're still looking for an accusation. He's already been arrested, and now they're looking for the accusation. And then Jesus answered, 
if you want to know about my kingdom, I'll tell you about my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. And as proof of the fact that my kingdom is not of this world, my followers are not fighting. We're not taking up arms against uh, my arrest. And, and you can see that. Uh, we, we, we didn't do that, except Peter's little incident that, that, that Jesus shut down very quickly. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate pounces on that in verse 37. And he says, so you are a king. You admit it. And then Jesus said, you said it. You said that I'm a king. And for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Did you notice what just happened here? Pilate is interrogating Jesus, and then Jesus puts Pilate in the dock. He says, this is why I've come into the world, to proclaim the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so now Jesus is extending an invitation to Pilate. Pilate is the one who's now put on the spot. Is he going to respond to the truth or not? And Pilate did not like this at all. And by the way, we already know about the truth. Jesus has already said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's presenting himself as the truth and saying, Pilate, this is who I am. This is why I've come. And here is your opportunity. But Pilate just throws up his hands and says, what is truth? He's not interested in the question of truth. Now, after he said this, he goes back outside and he says to the Jews for the first time, I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. This trial could have stopped at any point. It could have stopped after they had no accusation. He could have just chased them away and said, you have no accusation. This trial does not proceed. Case dismissed. But then after the initial interrogation, he goes out and he says, I find no guilt in him. What should happen? The trial should be over. But here Pilate commits a serious and unnecessary miscalculation. He did not really understand the Jews. And he says to them, wanting apparently to appear magnanimous, and say, I find no guilt in him, but there's a way for him to be sort of condemned and then released. We have this custom here, because we're so magnanimous as Romans and at the Passover time, we released you a prisoner. So we can, we can assume Jesus is condemned, and then you can, you can say that you condemned him, and then I'll release him, and then everybody will be satisfied. But he didn't count on the fact that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And they, he, he asks, he says, I have this custom, we have this custom, we release a man to you at Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, and they said, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, it says here that Barabbas was a robber, but he wasn't just a, a plain old bandit. He was, an, he was a, an insurgent. He was an insurrectionist. He was a rebel against Roman authority. And he had committed murder, and he committed banditry in his opposition to the Romans. In other words, he was a local folk hero for the Jews. And Pilate didn't understand that. For Pilate, he was a common terrorist who was worthy of death. But he did not understand the sentiment of the Jews that he was a folk hero, and they had already come ready to ask for the release of their folk hero. And so Pilate 
at the end of round two, we see that he's put himself in a very difficult situation. So if we're scoring the rounds, even if we tentatively give round one to Pilate, I think we need to give round two to the Jewish authorities. Then we move into round three. In chapter 19, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, we know from other sources some things about Pilate. We know that he was capable of wanton cruelty. And he was willing to practice cruelty and injustice. So this is in keeping with his character. He has already declared Jesus to be what? Innocent. But he flogged him. Now, there were three levels of Roman floggings. And we don't know which level this was. But all of them were brutal affairs. And many people did not survive the most severe of the floggings. But he flogged him. And then the soldiers got in on the act. And they twisted together the crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They put him in a purple robe. And they came up to him, hailing him as the king of the Jews, striking him with their hands. And here we see John doing what John loves to do. He puts truth into the mouth of Jesus' opponents. They're hailing Jesus as the king of the Jews, and they were more right than they themselves understood. And then Pilate, once again, verse 4, goes out to them. You see he's going in, going out, going in, and goes out again. And he says, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know, once again, I find no guilt in him. They bring out Jesus and he's wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe. He's gashed and he's bleeding. And Pilate says, behold the man. As if to say, come on, folks, are you being serious? This pitiful creature, you are, you are putting him up as some sort of threat to yourselves, or to Rome, this is a man. Now, once again, Pilate spoke more than he knew. This is a truth that John presents to us from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became what? Became flesh. And it was very evident that Jesus was made of flesh, wasn't it? Because that flesh, that flesh was ripped, and it was torn, and it was bleeding. And he says, behold the man. And he wanted to appeal to the crowd's pity. They had already asked for a local folk hero to be released. But he thought, well, certainly they won't continue to press their case when they see this this man, this pitiful man in this kind of a state. And certainly they'll they'll have mercy and they'll want him to be released. But... When he did this, he miscalculated once again. The chief priests, the officers, when they saw him, verse 6, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And then Pilate, he saw that the trick had worked once. He could put the, the Jewish leaders in their place by saying, you don't have the capital authority, I do. So he tried this trick again. He says, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Three times. I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. But then they slipped. They slipped and they could have lost their case here. The Jews answered him in verse 7. We have a law and according to that law he ought to die because he made himself the son 
of God. Now, this was another opportunity to Pilate, for Pilate to say, what's that to me? You have a law, and he's broken your law. He hasn't broken Roman law, and he calls himself the Son of God. This is a problem for you Jews away from me now. And he could have dismissed the case again. But Pilate was, as many Romans, polytheistic enough, that is, he would have believed in many gods, and superstitious enough to be afraid. And that's what he did. He, he says, when Pilate, it says, when Pilate heard this statement, verse 8, he was even more afraid. And that's the first time we know that he was afraid. It doesn't say that he was afraid, but now it says he was more afraid. And so we know that he was motivated by fear throughout this. He was more afraid. And then once again, verse 9, he entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Thinking that maybe perhaps there was more to this apparently pitiful man than met the eye. And here Jesus grew silent. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 53, it says that the, the sheep, before it shears, is silent, doesn't open his mouth. Here Jesus fulfills that. He doesn't open his mouth. And Pilate gets irked and pulls rank again and says, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? But Jesus is not so impressed with Pilate's authority and says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And from above, in John, means from God. And so Pilate was given this situation, he was put in this situation with authority over Jesus from God. And then he says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. There is some question about what this means. Who is the one who delivered him over to Pilate? That's probably Caiaphas. And he's not saying that Pilate's sin is nothing. He's just saying that the one who delivered him over has a greater sin. Why? Pilate was playing a role that he did not seek. He did not ask to be in this situation. He was thrust into this situation and he was dealing with it poorly, but he did not seek it out. On the contrary, Caiaphas sought it out. Caiaphas, who said, it's better for one man to perish than for the whole nation to perish. Caiaphas was active, and so Jesus says to him, his sin is greater. By the way, by the way, I don't know how many times I have heard Christians say that all sins are equal. And every sin is equal. And I, I've heard that many, many times, and it, it, it mystifies me. And, and here we see that that's not the case. Jesus says very clearly that Caiaphas' sin is worse than Pilate's sin. Now, if we mean by that that all sins are damnable, then that's true. But all sins are not equal in gravity, as Jesus points out here. Now, Pilate, it says... Well, that's the end of, of round three, if you will. And I think we have to give round three to the Jewish authorities. And then we move into round four, beginning in verse 12. It says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. We don't know how, but he was seeking to release him. And then the Jews pulled out their trump card. And in verse 12, it's, they said, if you release this man, 
you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, this was Tiberius Caesar, and he had reigned for a long time, and he brooked no rivals, and he did not hesitate to eliminate any threats to his authority. And Pilate had a patron in Rome who fell out of Tiberius's graces, and he was taken out. We don't know if it was before or after this time, but Pilate's position was precarious. He depended on his patron in Rome, who eventually fell out of favor with Tiberius. And so the Jews were saying, remember, Governor Pilate, we can inform to the emperor about the fact that you are tolerating the pretensions of a supposed rival king in Judea. How do you think that will go for you, Governor Pilate, when this reaches the ears of Tiberius Caesar? And that was it. Pilate folded. Verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Apparently they they had to bring his judgment seat outside to deal with the scruples of the Jews. And he sat there. And it's interesting that neither here nor in any other gospel do we hear Pilate giving his verdict. And maybe he did or maybe he didn't give an actual verdict. But what he did here was interesting. Instead of giving a verdict, he made a proclamation. Verse 14. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. That's not a verdict. That's an announcement. That's a proclamation. And here once again as we find in the Gospel of John, putting more truth into the opponents of Jesus than they themselves understood. And then they cried out, away with Him, away with Him, crucify Him. Pilate, once again, shall I crucify your King? And then we have the final irony, tragic irony, where these Jewish authorities who despised and hated Rome and resented their authority over them, they say, out of their own mouths, we have no king but Caesar. And if that was two things. One, it was hogwash because they did not recognize or respect Caesar. And two, it was a denial of their identity as the people of God who did have one king and one king only, the Lord God. And then it says in verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Round four, we must definitely give to the Jewish authorities. So what do we have? Round one, tentatively Pilate. Round two, the Jewish authorities. Round three, the Jewish authorities. Round four, the Jewish authorities. The match is over. They have won. And Pilate has lost. And Jesus is handed over to be crucified. Now, in today's text, what John is pushing us to do, and what we need to do in order to grasp the message here, is to listen to everything that is being proclaimed about Jesus. 
He said some things about himself, but mostly other people said things about him. Pilate called him a king multiple times. The soldiers called him a king and hailed him as king. The Jewish authorities called him the son of God. Pilate called him the man. And Pilate three times declared him to be innocent. Now, let's put all these together. What do we have? We have, as I promised at the beginning, what God offers us in the Scriptures as the solution to our performance gap problem. You see, it is humanity that has that performance gap. And if we go back to the Old Testament, the temporary solution was to sacrifice innocent animals in the place of guilty humans. But they recognized that that was not a fair substitute because animals can never, in the final analysis, take away the guilt of humans. And so, what is the solution? If humans have caused the gap, then a human has to deal with that gap. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what did the lambs of the Old Testament have to be? They had to be blameless. They had to be without fault. So what do we have here in this, in this trial of Jesus? We have a proclamation that He is the Son of God. They spoke better than they knew. We have a proclamation that this Son of God is the Man. The Son of God has become flesh. He has become one of us. And we have a proclamation three times that this Son of God, who became a man, is without guilt, without guilt, without guilt. Behold, my friends, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the... That's the Bible's, that's God's solution to our performance gap. Not simply trying in some measure to to minimize the gap, but dealing with that gap by taking away the guilt thereof with an innocent man who is the Son of God dying for the sins of all who believe in Him. That one man who had no performance gap of his own gives his life, his perfect life, his divine human life for the sins of all who will trust in him. And so here today, here today, the the invitation of this text, the ironic, the indirect invitation of this text, this man is the son of God. Behold the man. Look at him and realize that he is the spotless Son of God, sacrificed for all of us who have that performance gap and will but believe in him to have that gap removed before God. That's the good news. That's the solution. And that's the solution we hear proclaimed today, even through the voices of those who were conspiring to lift Jesus up on the cross that He might die for the sins of His own. Let's pray. Our God, we 
with the eyes of faith, want to behold the man today. We want to consider Jesus, the Son of God, come down, become a man for us, living that perfect life and then being lifted up on the cross to die for those of us who are guilty, not only of not reaching our own standards, but much more seriously not reaching the standards that you have set for us. And we behold the man, we behold the perfect man, we behold the the man without the gap, who is your son, who is the king, enthroned on that cross for the salvation of all who believe in him. And I pray, O God, for us who are hearing this message preached today, here or in some other place, that we would believe on the Son and so receive life and forgiveness for that performance gap in our lives. And we pray this in His name. Amen.